Jonathan. God bless you as you come here tonight. Amen. I feel Holy Ghost in this room tonight. Will you just kind of lift your hands right now and ask God just to stay with us? Amen, amen, amen. What a beautiful host of people here tonight and preachers and their wives, so many of them here tonight. Amen. I'm so glad to be in this meeting and glad that you're here in Baton Rouge tonight. God bless you, Brother Alvio. Thank you, Brother Spell. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's a real privilege and honor tonight to be here once again, worshiping the Lord together with you in this uh, great church and uh, in the company of all these wonderful ministers of the gospel, the Apostolic Churches International, another convention we try to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord, which I believe draweth nigh. And I hope that we are all here for the same reason. We want to draw a little bit closer to the Lord. And that's my only desire and motive tonight. And I want to express my appreciation to all of the brethren of the ACI who are here tonight for their influence and input in my life and the many times and days that we have enjoyed together. And I feel especially honored tonight uh, to have been asked once again to speak at our conference. And I appreciate the uh, confidence of the pulpit committee uh, that they have invested in me, and I hope I don't let them down tonight. Praise the Lord. And so I give honor to each one of them. I know we don't always do this because uh, we're just a little bit informal, but I give honor to, to our good chairman, Brother Gilmer, our assistant chairman, Brother Cavanis, and for all of the good men that make up this fellowship. And I especially tonight give honor to my good pastor, Brother Spell, and this great church. And I want to say that I feel proud to be able to say that I was a part of this church for about five years. And uh, for what it has done in my life. Appreciate the choir for singing this last song this evening, Climbing Up the Mountain. I was remembering that... Um, I was in this choir when they were singing that song. That was many moons ago. And that song has been a blessing and inspiration to me many times through the years. Climbing up the mountain. Trying to reach the top. Almost finished my battle. Gone halfway and I just can't stop. If I can just make it through tonight, it will all be downhill from here on. Amen. But we want to congratulate and salute Brother Spell on 32 years uh, anniversary also during this conference. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm not always as nervous as I am tonight. And I am very unsettled this evening. I have uh, a sense of impending doom. And uh, a lot of times I have 
tried the Lord being my helper to preach in such a way that everybody present can benefit in some way from it, if at all possible. Uh, my message tonight is very one-dimensional, and so I don't know that everybody will benefit from it. But I trust that we will all have ears to hear anyhow. Praise the Lord. And even though this is an ACI convention, I do not speak for the ACI tonight. I speak for myself. And so as Rush Limbaugh says, uh, the views that will be expressed is not necessarily that of the station and the management and its sponsors. But they ought to be and hopefully soon will be. Praise the Lord. Amen. But we have always been encouraged to preach without fear or favor. And sometimes we are excited about that and sometimes we get stung by that. But uh, I do want to deliver my heart tonight. I'm glad to see some of the folks from Sulphur have come to support their pastor tonight, though I do notice that a number of them are in the back row. I don't know what that means. Uh, maybe so they can beat a hasty retreat. But I'm turning tonight to the book of Psalms, chapter 44. Book of Psalms, chapter 44. I would like to read several verses of Scripture, beginning with verse number 1. The Bible says, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us. What work thou didst in their days, in the times of old. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand, and plantest them. How thou didst afflict the people, and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them. But thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God, command deliverances for Jacob. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hadst saved us from our enemies, and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long, and praise thy name forever. Selah. Directing your attention especially to the first verse. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. I would like to just speak to you for a little while this evening on this simple subject, seeking the God of our fathers. Seeking the God of our fathers. Amen. Could we lift our hands and praise the Lord tonight and ask his favor upon the remainder of this service. Jesus, I am so inadequate so unfit for this great job 
that has been given to me to do. So I appeal to you for divine wisdom and anointing. Help me, Lord. Don't let me speak a word out of place. Help me to faithfully represent you and to do it with the right motive, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, I do pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated while you're uh, getting comfortable. Let me also say I'm looking forward to hearing all of the other men that will be speaking in this conference. And I've come with an open heart to hear and receive. And I hope this evening that you will not jump to conclusions. I, uh, I know that I was at a meeting one time when one of our good brethren was preaching, preached a good message, and there were some others who left that meeting, and just because that one brother had not uttered the word video in his message, they completely discounted everything else he had to say. This is a time when we're not just judged by what we say, but what, what, what we don't say. And I hope that you will be kinder to me tonight and hear what I have to say. But we are sitting tonight in this congregation in a beautiful church and in the company of wonderful saints and great ministers of the gospel. In my opinion, some of the finest walking in shoe leather today. But we also must admit that we are not the originators. We have received what has been handed down to us. We have built on other men's foundations. And we are enjoying others' labors. Others have blazed the trail and they have paved the way for us to follow. And I have had this scripture troubling me in my mind for some time. Where the writer said, our fathers have told us. And we have received much and we have learned much. And one of the ways that we have received and learned is by word of mouth. Indeed, God instructed our forefathers many, many centuries ago that they were to tell it again and again to succeeding generations. This same book of Psalms in the 78th chapter, the writer said, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God, but keep His commandments. 
God told the people through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7 concerning His commandments, statutes, and judgments, He said, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And we all know that there are numerous indications in Scripture what can happen when men fail to do that. We're well acquainted with the passage in the book of Judges where the Bible says after Joshua and all his counterparts died and the generation that outlived Joshua, there arose another generation that knew not the Lord. And while we heap and pile our scorn and ridicule upon them, the fact remains that somebody failed to do what God had told them to do. Praise the Lord. Everything they did, even their feasts, such as the Feast of the Passover, included songs and passages that they were to repeat year by year, which told the story all over again of the deliverance of God to His people. The monuments that they had were intended for the same purpose. The book of Joshua chapter 4 verse 21 tells about them taking stones out of the river of Jordan after they had crossed through there and made a monument so that the Bible says when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come saying what mean ye the stones these stones then you're to tell them the story all over again God did this for us God did this for us they not only learn by word of mouth but they also learn by personal experience and I find that after Abraham passed on and Isaac uh, became the patriarch God made him to walk through the same footsteps of his father Abraham and he found to his dismay and consternation that the Philistines had dumped dirt into many of the wells that Abraham had dug and he had to dig them out again until they were flowing clear and delicious praise the Lord and those wells had been named with names that signified experiences that Abraham had had. And the Bible said after he dug them out, he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. In other words, God made him relive the experiences of his father. You all with me here tonight? I think you think I know you know where I'm going, but you don't really know where I'm going. And the Bible tells me also about Jacob after he had his encounter with God at Bethel. He went his way and many years passed by and he served really himself doing his own thing. But now he's coming back to the land of his fathers and the situation was greatly complicated by the announcement that Esau was coming after him with vengeance in his heart. And so it made Jacob have to find a place by himself and get down on his knees. And this is what he said. Oh God of my father.
life is preserved. And he walked for the rest of his life with a pronounced limp and indication of a personal experience with the God of his father Abraham and Isaac. The Bible tells me when Moses was in the wilderness and God appeared to him in the burning bush that he called out to him and he said, take off your sandals. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. And Moses had this big question mark, what's going on here? And the voice then said, I am the God of thy father. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Sooner or later, we had better have an encounter and a personal experience with the God of our fathers. And each succeeding generation had to do the same. Judges chapter 3 tells that the nations of the Philistines as well as others were left there to torment Israel for the express purpose of proving them and testing them out to see what was in their heart. In other words, God forced them to have to keep refighting the same battles every generation that came so that every one of them would have a personal acquaintance with the delivering power of Almighty God. Hallelujah. I want you to lay all of that aside for just a little bit. Let me talk about the times that we're in for just a moment. I don't need to elaborate. We're all painfully aware of them. We are now in a, in a time of crisis. We may not like to admit it, but it's so anyhow. And there's many, many reasons why. And one of the foremost among them is that this is a prayerless generation. This is a generation that does not have a personal experience, an encounter with Almighty God. Let me just get ahead of myself and tell you tonight, you cannot live all of your life without knowing Him for yourself. You can't live for Him by just a word of mouth story. You've got to know Him for yourself. But we struggle to keep our churches praying, service after service. I don't care how loud you scream one night and how hard you stomp. You've got to do it again the next service. Because this is a prayerless generation. Many in our day could not pray their way out of a wet paper bag. They run out of things to pray for in 15 minutes and go to talking with each other or congregating around the water fountain. Hallelujah. Now we can say a lot of things, but this is one of the main reasons why we're fighting carnality in our churches and why we're having an influx of worldliness and an appetite for the world and people's hearts and folks with a shallow experience. There are many challenges in our day. This is the AIDS generation. This is a time of great moral and social and spiritual decay. Many people's lives when they come to us are a tangled mess. 
Hallelujah. Now I know that we, we, uh, we make the statement, there's nothing really new. And I understand what that means. There is much that is the same as far as people and their attitudes and, and the things that motivate them. Much is still the same. And yet I submit to you that much is new and much is untested. If you don't think we're facing things today that our fathers never had to face, you've got your head buried in the sand. Hallelujah. And all of these things have aroused great passion and intensity in our hearts, in our zeal to preserve the integrity of the apostolic message and of the truth that we uphold. And understandably so, I hope that we can still be moved to great emotion as we defend the things that we have received. And can I just add my feeble voice to say tonight, brethren, keep on preaching. Keep on preaching your convictions. Keep on preaching your beliefs. And keep on bearing your hearts. We have got to have it. Praise the Lord. But I submit to you that there are other perils of this battle and struggle and fight that we're in. And it does not all come from the threats and the menaces and the issues that we confront themselves. Praise the Lord. But we have an enemy who knows how to exploit our zeal and our fears and our emotions. Praise the Lord. Amen. I came here to preach without amens. And I'll preach without them. Bless God. Maybe the last time I ever preach in our conference. But I'm going to say the way I feel tonight. Let me tell you, the devil knows that if he can't destroy us one way, he will another. We have all seen this happen in churches. It's not just worldliness that can kill the church. It is spirits of envy and bitterness and strife. Churches can be destroyed and torn apart by critical spirits, fanatical zeal, and intolerance. Hallelujah. And I'm convinced the devil hates this group of ministers. The devil hates this fellowship of preachers. And there is more than one way to destroy it. Can I submit to you tonight? A ship can list just as much to the right as it does the left. Praise the Lord. I'm reminded of a scripture, though I may be taking it out of context, in which the Bible said as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand on a wall and a serpent bit him. In trying to run from one thing, we can run slap dab into another threat and evil that is just as great. Praise the Lord. I've already lost a bunch of you tonight. But I understand, brethren, our concerns and our fears. But while we're trying to right one wrong, we can create another. Hallelujah. 
It is possible in our haste and in our enthusiasm and emotional intensity to counter a threat, to sacrifice sacred principles that are not to be tempered with. There is a danger in becoming too fixated on one thing. A number of years ago, there was a 727 jetliner flying to the city of Detroit, Michigan, to pick up the Detroit Lions football team. It was a charter flight. It was at this particular time just carrying a crew of three, no other members, no other humans on board. And it was a very cold day of the year. And there is a sensor on the outside of an airplane that affects several of the most vital instruments in a pilot's cockpit. And it is possible for that sensor to be covered with ice and not give a proper reading. Consequently, there is a heater, a little heat source that is uh, built into that sensor so that the captain, if necessary, can turn on the heat and prevent the ice buildup. But in all of their pre-flighting and preparations for this trip, they neglected to check and see if the de-icer on this sensor had been activated. And so they took off and their flight was proceeding as normal. And suddenly, the captain noticed on the airspeed indicator which is one of the vital instruments controlled by this sensor. It was reading that their speed was mysteriously accelerating. Even though they had not applied power, it was accelerating. And so he uh, assumed that they had somehow gotten into a powerful jet stream blowing from behind that was increasing his speed. So he began to throttle back. And as he throttled back, the speed continued to increase. And he throttled back and eased the nose up a little bit more. And this continued several times in succession. But even though he was way throttled back and had the nose pulled way up, he noticed the airspeed continuing to increase. And finally he began to feel a shake and a buffet on the airplane. And he assumed that it was the shake that an airplane is subjected to just prior to crossing the speed of sound. And so he throttled back a little bit more. But what he didn't know was it was approaching stalling speed. And when he throttled back that little bit more, that airplane took a nosedive and began to spiral towards the ground. And from 27,000 feet, the pilot spoke with the controllers all the way down. And they tried every measure available to them, but they were not able to pull it out of a nosedive. And that airplane made a neat little hole in the ground. You hear me tonight? The accident report afterwards said that it was pilot error. Not only because of the oversight on the heat of the sensor, 
but because they became fixated with one instrument. That's all. If they would have scanned their instruments as they are trained to do, they would have noticed on their attitude indicator that their nose pitch was at an extremely high angle of attack and there would have been no aerodynamic way that that airplane could have been going that speed with that nose high attitude. And so, because of their fixation with the one instrument, they doomed themselves. It is possible, dear brethren, with one son. Everyone feels strongly about what we believe and we are willing to champion and crusade our cause and that's good. Let us not let the enemy use our fears to stampede us into losing our reason, throwing the Lord. There are things, my brethren, my beloved brothers and sisters, that can affect us in this fight. It's not just the threat, it is other things that can arise in response to them. Let me just speak for a little bit tonight about respect for the ministry. Now let me qualify that by saying, I believe as you do, that the message is greater than the messenger, and the truth is greater than men. And the truth should never be sacrificed at the expense of men. But I submit to you, I submit to you that I am alarmed at how ready we can be some to draw blood. I am troubled by expressions such as good riddance. We didn't need them anyhow. Or it was their own fault. Go ahead and tighten up on me. I told you you didn't know which direction I was going. Brother Kavanagh's message I preached in your church a few weeks ago is still weighing heavy on my mind. I preached on sinking times or praying times. And when Peter left the boat and started walking on the water, and then he saw the rage of the elements around him, he began to sink. And when he began to sink, we did not hear a chorus of cries from out of the boat. Let him go. Let him sink. He shouldn't have been such a show-off. He shouldn't have been so adventuresome. He should have known better. It's good enough for him. Praise the Lord. I know some folks don't believe what I'm preaching. But I'm here to tell you that even after Peter denied the Lord three times, they did not reject him. Their own shortcomings. Maybe they had not verbally denied him around the campfire. But the Bible says they all fled and forsook him. They all scampered for their lives to save their skins. Oh God, we're all the recipients of the grace of God tonight. He has done better for us than what any of us deserves. 
Hallelujah. It is possible to get into such a killing frenzy that we devour one another. I read in the Bible where the Ammonites and the Moabites and the children of Seir came up to fight against God's people. And we know how God turned the battle against them. And it happened because the Ammonites and the Moabites ambushed the children of Seir. And once they got into that killing spree, they couldn't stop. And they wiped each other out. We don't just reject men, but church congregations also. Hallelujah. Now let me stop here for just a moment and say that we do need strong voices. We do need rigorous debate and discussion. Don't misunderstand me into thinking that I want men to quit preaching behind our pulpits. Preach, preach, preach. But let us also manifest concern and compassion. We're all struggling for survival and we need one another. I am not crazy tonight, brethren. I'm setting myself up tonight. I know that this message will be discussed during the remainder of this conference. And by the time it has been analyzed in motel rooms and around restaurant tables, it will barely resemble what I really said. Once men add their own interpretation and put their perspective on it and add their spin, it may not at all mean what I said. But we are in trouble tonight if every effort to strike a conciliatory note and find a balance and be a peacemaker is interpreted as compromise or betraying the faith. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you what's troubling me tonight. Hallelujah. In our zeal to rid ourselves of things that we perceive as great threats to us. Again, as I said earlier, we can dispense with great principles which are sacred. One of those is ministerial ethics. We cannot dispense with that at the expense of issues. I realize there is a limitation and there is a line that has to be drawn. Hallelujah. And ethics may not be a problem where you live, but it's a great problem down in our area where it's open season on everybody's saints. When they don't need even need a reason to take people out of your church and feel justified in it. It may not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're all, we have always had differences among us, and we will until Jesus comes. But just because someone doesn't show uh, or shows more tolerance in an area or two that I may does not necessarily mean that that individual is going charismatic or has denied the faith. And it gives me the right to stop their saints into my church. Hallelujah. 
they may cause me alarm or concern and I may speak out on the subject and I may preach the devil out of it but it doesn't mean that they are already an infidel we are preaching to save ourselves and them that will hear us But I ask tonight if we feel justified taking saints from another church over differences in every standard, where does it end? We're going to feel justified because one man strings up Christmas lights? We're going to feel justified over differences in communion and other things? I don't even, look, I don't want to open the floodgates of worldliness into my church. But I don't also want to open this floodgate. Because once you get it open, you may have opened it for what you felt was a just cause. But you may have trouble getting it shut. I'm not responsible for another church's saints. I have trouble enough pastoring the ones I've got. Though I've been accused of trying to pastor all of South Louisiana just because I took certain positions concerning saints in my own church. Hallelujah. The Bible said to his own master, he standeth or falleth. We're going to give an account for those that are in our trust. And it sure is amazing that everybody else knows how to pastor your church better than you do. Hallelujah. I know there are extreme circumstances that warrant it. If a man is rotten, if a church is going to the dogs, that's one thing. There are extreme circumstances, but let us be sure they are extreme. I'm going to say something's really going to make some of you fall out with me. But I believe this even concerning churches of other organizations. I don't want anybody else's people. Bless God, I've heard him say, I'll clean them out. I'll take every one they've got. Just because of a denominational difference. Just because of a difference in one standard or two or three. Hallelujah. You all hear me tonight. Dear God, have mercy on my soul this evening. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. I've been to some of their meetings and I have seen a lot I do not like. I've seen a lot that has turned my stomach. But by the same token, I've seen a lot of folks that look better than a lot of their own people. And I've been to their meetings and they need a whole lot of what we've got. But I've also heard some of them preach a whole lot of what we need. We are not, hear me, the supremacists of the apostolic faith. We're just trying to make the city. This little group of preachers is trying to stand for a few principles that are sacred. We're trying to stand for an open pulpit. We're trying to stand for an autonomous church. We're trying to stand for holiness. 
We're trying to stand for evangelism. Oh God, would you bless our churches with revival and help us grow and add souls unto us in this terrible hour. tonight, have we run out of sinners to save? We need to undermine, work against, steal, take out, and ruin a man's character so that we feel justified. Hallelujah. I'm too busy trying to save a few lost souls around. Lord, if people move for, for legitimate reasons, come for legitimate. That's one thing. Of course, the problem is that everybody is legitimate. Everybody's circumstances is extraordinary and peculiar and unique. Praise the Lord. But when they come, they come saying, we used to do it this way. We'd rather do it that way. Or we always did it this other way in our church. I'd rather see newborn babes come in and pray through in our altar where we can lead them to Calvary and teach them how to live for God. I'm trying to instill in our church and suffer a missionary burden. Glad to see some of our missionaries here. Good to see Brother Lambeth. We pray for him. We support them. We try to support as many as we can, even-handed. Uh, let me just say this. I, I don't want it to sound any other way than it does. We do not just have a missionary program for my father. We're trying to support other missionaries. We're trying to support other causes. Oh, God, help us. Now then, I asked you to lay all that other aside. And it seems as though everything I've said since then is completely disconnected and unrelated. But let me come back to it now. One of the problems is we are losing our anchors. We have fewer men among us who are anchors to us. Men of great depth, men of wisdom and perception. Men like Brother Cavanis, our beloved late Brother Cavanis, Sr. Hallelujah. Thank God for his son doing such a tremendous job continuing holding the torch. That man had an amazing ability to sit among us, and we kind of felt strong just because he was there. Men like Brother Bean and others who have gone on one by one, they're leaving the scene. They were great stabilizing forces among us. Consequently, the landscape is changing. Conditions are altered. And I don't mind telling, again, I'm speaking for myself. I feel at times orphaned and afraid because the burden of the great challenges of this hour has now fallen squarely on my shoulders and you may feel adequate but I feel so inadequate
with these men gradually leaving us. I was troubled to hear the other day I'd been at Brother Kavanagh's meeting, seen Brother Jordan step up to the pulpit kind of unsteadily. And he said, I'm getting ready to cross over. I still got flight in me. That was so thrilling to see. And just a few days later, a stroke. He's in the hospital today. One by one, they're leaving us. As a result, boy, it's quiet here tonight. We are more like brothers and peers to each other. As the Bible said, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. Since we are like brothers and peers, sometimes we're not afraid or intimidated of each other. We get up and lambast and slam and bang and We all do it, I'm guilty. And while boldness and fearlessness can be great virtues and admirable characteristics, there's also a fine line between that and arrogance and an absence of humility. An attitude that says, I know all the answers and you don't know anything. An attitude that says my view is the ultimate and final word on the subject. The old anchors had a steadying hand and men submitted to their influence. Not because of organizational positions, but because their unique grasp of the Word of God and their special walk with God. And we felt drawn to them and again, I'm speaking for myself, but we sounded off on them. A lot of times before we preached, we said, what do you think, Elder? What about this? What about... We sounded off on that. Your voices are becoming silent. We need new anchors. But they will not come through self-proclamation. There's always an abundance of men around to claim so-and-so's mantle. It's fallen on me. I've got his ministry and his mission. But they will not be self-proclaimed or they will not be made by men. But they will be raised up by God among us. By God. They not also be those who wield the sharpest sword. Or the heaviest hammer. But those who know how to use them, perhaps just as importantly, when to withhold them. This is the answer. This is the answer. Getting ready to tell you. <laughs> Speaking for myself. With the absence of fathers and anchors, all there is left to do, as in the scriptures that I read as a text tonight, David recounted briefly the deliverances of Israel, but he was quick to add, we didn't do it. You did it for us. 
Though the victories in the land of Canaan were not won without armies and without swords and without shields, they were not won by them, but they were won by the mighty arm of the Lord. It was through His power, through His authority, through His motivation that they went up against the sons of Anak, great giants and chariots of iron and fortified walls. They were afraid of nothing when they had Him on their side. Hallelujah. And David said it was because God had a favor unto them. I'm pleading with the Almighty tonight as just a, a troubled young man this evening. Would you please have a favor toward us in these last days? It was not their skill with weapons or their prowess with arms. And it will not be our swagger and our bold declarations. It will be the Spirit of the Lord moving in and through us and among us that will purge us. And our fathers were the same. God helped them through their crises and helped them through their dilemmas. And He gave them direction for their complexities and their bewilderments. And He gave them wisdom for their issues and for their difficult questions. And He will help us now with ours. You say, but you haven't named anything. Let me tell you why. What I'm saying tonight is bigger than any one issue. It's bigger than any one threat. It encompasses all that we're trying to do for God. We have our own challenges. We have our own threats. We have our own issues. And part of the problem is, and I know some of you won't agree with this, but the problem is that some of these issues before us are not nearly as well defined and as clear as some would like to think they are. And the problem is that we must find solutions that are not mere remedies of the convenience of the moment, but solutions that we can live with for many years to come. I never had the privilege of meeting Brother Bean. I don't know that I ever heard him in person. If I did, I don't remember it. I was too young and too airheaded. I heard a tape, many of his tapes that I've picked up here and there, and I heard him say on one of those tapes, I think it would be good for us to hear tonight. He said that before we take a stand in anything, we need to project it 15 years down the road and be sure that we can still live with it then. And these challenges, I'm getting ready to close and get all of us out of our misery tonight. But these challenges are going to test our mettle. They're going to demand the most intense soul-searching and deliberation that we can muster. I admire and envy men 
who are always so quick and so positive about everything. I wish I was like that. I have never made a decision hardly of my mind of any significance without a whole lot of agony and inner turmoil. Hallelujah. Never. In this church right here, not this building, but the old one that was out there, I spent many days walking back and forth in that empty church building, crying out to God, while I watched others just go, and they checked out the prevailing winds and went with it. Hallelujah! I'm not going to get on somebody's bandwagon just to be a part of the bandwagon. Hallelujah! And so I have agonized over everything. And I was reminded of that while Brother Timothy Spell and his boys were singing tonight that song, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Our answer tonight is not being able to brag afterwards and say, boy, I laid him low. I shot him full of holes. I whacked off a lot of heads tonight. Our answer will be finding a place as Jacob did under an old scraggly tree and getting down in our faces and saying, Oh God of Abraham! God of Isaac! Where are you? God of my Father that has helped him through all those years, I need you now. I am not so proud as to think I've got all the answers and I know all the solutions. I'm trying to steer my little church through troubled waters. So we all stand this evening. Undoubtedly, and I'm, I'm not continuing to apologize for myself, I'm just making a flat statement. I've never walked to the pulpit with more fear and trepidation than I have tonight. My wife knows that. Some are going to leave saying LVR has gone soft. He's a compromiser. He's a liberal at heart. We can't trust him no more. But I stood in the great redwood forest in California. I looked at those towering majestic trees, some of them thousands of years old. They have taken direct lightning strikes, strikes and has burnt out the core of the tree and they've continued standing and living. They've gone through many storms and winds and deaths. They've continued to grow and become strong. Some of them they claim, I don't know how they can tell, but they claim some of them are 4,000 years old. I asked the tour guide when I was there because I saw that the desert floor was also littered with the huge fallen carcasses of other trees. I said, if they can live so old, then why are these lying here? I said, what is it that cause, causes a redwood to fall? 
If a lightning strike can't do it, if wind can, what can cause a redwood tree to fall? And he said, when they grow out so far in one direction, they become overbalanced. Then they fall. And there is a scripture that still rings true tonight. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. But I beg us all this, and I know you're doing it. I'm not trying to imply you're not. I just don't want the devil to spook us into letting go other things that are vital and precious. Let's keep on fighting. Let's keep on defending. Let's keep, you all have known me. You've heard me preach enough time. You know what I believe. But let us reach out to God who alone can help us survive the challenges of this critical hour. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord. We need to hear from you. We need a word from you. If we don't hear from you, what will we do? sings it again. I would like for every minister in this building to come to the front for just a few moments. We've got to get it for ourselves. I thought as Brother Alvear was preaching, I have grandchildren here tonight. Amen. Fifth generation Pentecost. Fifth. Amen. 
Amen. God, help us to remember the God. Amen. That brought our grandfathers. Amen. Gave them this wonderful message. Come on, ministers all over the building. Come on. Come on. We need a word. Preachers first. Then if we then saints come and stand around here. Thank you, Brother Alviar, for preaching to us this evening. Amen. 
God bless you so very much. One o'clock tomorrow afternoon, Brother Ballastera. Amen. I don't think anybody blocked in out here tonight. We've done a good job of getting all the cars parked. So just a little time of fellowship, and then the ministers and their wives can go in a few moments to the dining hall. Walk around, shake hands, and be friendly. God bless you this evening. Thank you.